Well, my name is Ryan Fultz. I'm the director of high school ministries here, and I, I'm glad that I get to be with you this morning in this particular way. And uh, as we gather on Sundays normally to sing and to open God's word, I want you to know that I love you guys. I love this church family. We are in the middle of a series we've titled, We Are Family. As we talk about it, what it means to be the family of God. What are the things God might tell us to do or think or how might he ask us to live because of what he's already done in our lives? I love this local church. But I also love this idea of, of what is often talked about as the universal church. This idea that God is redeeming a people for himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And not just today. He's been doing it. He's doing it now. And he's going to keep doing it until Jesus returns. What a beautiful beautiful idea. I'm actually in the middle of a church history class for my masters and it's just encouraging me as I watch faithful men and women who have gone before us standing on God's word, trusting God's word and defending the faith. It's been good for my soul. God loves the church. He loves all of the church. He is redeeming himself a people, a beautifully diverse people united under Christ. I saw this quote from a guy named Michael Horton uh, this last week as I was preparing, and I just thought it was really good just to start us thinking. The church is not a communion of friends I chose for myself, but a family that God has chosen from all of eternity in his son. This brings us to the title of this morning's sermon. We are family. We are the church. The place where race has no reason to reign. The place where race has no reason to reign. Let me be brutally, openly honest with you from the beginning. There were points in time over these past few weeks where I thought to myself... How in the world am I going to do this? How in the world am I going to go after a topic like race in the culture we live in? You bring that word up and instantly tension rises in a room. My guess is you looked at your bulletin, if you didn't get our email earlier this week, and looked at it and went, oh, wow. Like, we're doing this? Yes, we are. There's so much heat and tension around this idea of race. And then the Lord was very kind to remind me this week that my role here today is not to give you Ryan's opinion. It's not my job. This is not a cultural commentary on what's going on. My job is to open this. Say, what does God's word say about race. Particularly, how should we as the church family think about race? So I want to lay some bedrock truths for you that if we are going to interact and think and live, particularly live, in a way that honors the Lord with regards to race, there's three things that we must 
understand, take to heart, and live out every day. And here's the first one. God's word is very clear that there is only one race, and it's called the human race. There's only one race, and it's called the human race. Turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Genesis chapter 1. We'll start there. We will be in multiple places throughout the Bible today, but here's where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 1. If you're not sure where that is, go to the beginning. It's where it starts. Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves over the earth. In Genesis 1, we're getting a, a window into creation. A window into looking at our powerful, loving, kind, amazing God creating the universe. Think about it just for a moment. He spoke and created. When was the last time you did that? When I speak, I create problems. That's all I create. He spoke and created the world. Man and woman, beasts, the earth, crazy. That should just leave us in awe of the Lord. He said to mankind, to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, and they were. But he didn't just create them to make babies and have dominion over the earth. It tells us that they were created in what? In the image of God. In his likeness with unique value to them. No one else shares that term. No one else other than mankind was created in the image of God. Not your dog, although he is an awesome creation of the Lord. Not your houseplant, not the earth, mankind created in the image of God. To display him doesn't mean we are God. We were created in his likeness with eternal value. Not because we're awesome, but because we were created by somebody who was. Created in the image of God. All people, all people trace their roots back to Adam and Eve. All people. We can, we can follow scriptures to Noah in chapter 5 where he's a descendant from Adam. And then we can follow that on to the Tower of Babel where God spread people throughout the entire world. But all people find their starting point in Adam. All people. 
But we don't just see this here in Genesis. It's not just something we see here and never hear about elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, Turn over to Acts chapter 17, and I want to show you from a a different spot in Scripture, a very different kind uh, of writing in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, I'm going to read to you verses 25 through 27 once you get there. Acts 17, starting in verse 25. Actually, I'm going to go to verse 24. One more back. Verse 24 starts like this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, take note of this verse right here. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet, he is actually... Not far from each one of us. Here again, we see God's glorious power in creation. He made the world and everything in it. He gives us life and breath and everything. But verse 26 is very clear. We can't get around it. He made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind. Every nation of mankind. And that word nation is not the nations we think of necessarily today. The, the Greek word is uh, ethos, or eth- ethnos, excuse me, and it's, it's this people group. It's, uh, it's not the borders we live in today. It's, it's communicating to us that all peoples of every background, God created from one man. Paul here, we have to remember, is speaking to Gentiles, non-Jews in Areopagus. And he's reminding them that their lineage too goes all the way back to Adam. There was racial tension going on in this culture right here. The Jews did not think fondly of non-Jews. And Paul is reminding everyone right here, all people... All people can trace their heritage and lineage back to Adam. So that's the truth. It's only one race, human race. But, but what's the implication for us? You know, sometimes I think we might hear a sermon like that. And we might stop at that point, kind of just drop the mic and walk off. Yay, we're all one human race. But what do we do with the tension in our own nation? What do we do with the tension between people who look differently, whether it's skin color or ethnic background or where they come from? What do we do with this tension? We can't just simply say all one race and walk out the door. What would God have us know from this glorious truth that can help us today? Here's what I think. All people, regardless of skin color or ethnic background, trace their lineage back to Adam. But this also means, by nature, that all people, regardless of skin color or ethnic background, were made in God's image. Just like you and me. Everyone in the image 
of God. All are equally valuable in God's sight because he created them that way. All people. While God's word is gloriously true on race, how should this help us think about the tensions of today? I'll be honest. I know this is a, this is a hard subject for us to think about. And I've been asking the Lord to, to help me be faithful today as we open God's word to talk about this. And I forced myself to think about some hard questions. I asked myself these questions. Do I really believe that all people are created in God's image? Do I really believe that? Are there any areas of my life that do not display this glorious truth? And then this question as well. Do I have blind spots in my life with regards particularly to minorities or others that are different than me? So I wrestled with these questions. God, what is there in me? And I came to three conclusions that I want to share with you as we keep going. Number one, I do believe God's word. I believe that there is only one human race, that all people were created in God's image with value and to display the glory of God. But to believe this, I also have to recognize that if I ever mistreat someone or think less of someone based on what they look like or where they come from, I must repent. Because that is sinful in the eyes of the Lord. Because they're all people who are created in the image of God. All people. All people. So as I was wrestling with these thoughts, two more things came to mind. And I realized that I too often let fear rule my heart and rule my life rather than acting in love. Too often I'm controlled by my fear rather than my love in situations and in how I think And then I also realized that, unfortunately, I often let my lack of knowledge or understanding lead me to simplistic and poorly developed conclusions. This is just Ryan. I'm just sharing with you. I've learned I, I live by fear too often. And where I don't understand, I form simplistic conclusions instead of learning more. That's wrong. Sinful on my part. So as I was working through these things in my own heart uh, and processing these things with other people around me, I had some great encouragement from some people who love me. They said, Ryan, don't, don't run away from that. Press into that. Seek to learn and understand. And that was some great wisdom for me. So on Tuesday afternoon... I found myself on NKU's campus. I found myself, I didn't just like wake up and find myself. <laughs> just trying to paint a picture. I, I was at NKU's campus. Sounds like a bad movie. I, I, was, I was at NKU's campus, sitting at a table with uh, five to seven other people gathered from a ministry called Campus Outreach. Faith and Isaac Kane serve in this ministry. They are members of our church family. And they had agreed to... to to set up a meeting with some of their staff and students. God is doing some really cool things in their ministry as they try to proactively bridge uh, ethnic backgrounds and ethnic barriers. Uh, And so 
I was just talking with them. I said, they said, come sit with our students. Come talk with us. They would love to talk with you. And so I did that. And so I'm sitting at this table with, with staff and students, a, a handful of them who are African-American. They were willing to just share with me what life is like for them. I went to them with this one question. I mean, I had other questions, but I had this one question. I said, I've lived all over the world, lived in different countries and different places, but I have no idea what it looks like to live as you in America. Will you help me understand? Help me understand what your life has been like, what unique challenges you've gone through. And they were so, so gracious to me. Everyone in that table loved the Lord and it was clear to me that day. I went with the intent of listening and the intent of learning. I had truly no idea what it was like to live like that. I had no idea what it was looked like, like to live in, um, in Avondale and grow up in Avondale just across the river. I have no idea what it's like to grow up there. But they unpacked their story to me. And I tell you what happened as I learned You want to know what grew in my heart? Compassion. Understanding. True empathy. They were gracious to me in all of my questions. They had well-articulated answers. So why am I telling you this story? Because obviously it's not because, well, I've had this conversation. I understand all things. So now we, that's not, that's not what's going on here. One of the phrases that this ministry uses over and over and over again as it seeks to be a part in racial reconciliation is this phrase. Education leads us to compassion. Education or understanding what people are going through leads us to compassion. And I found this to be so true for my life. I left that conversation stoked, truly joy-filled for God's glory and what he was doing. It's really hard to be compassionate for people when we're uninformed and disconnected. It's really hard. Since we were all made in the image of God, love and compassion are some of the very characteristics that should be clearly seen in our lives. So let me ask you, friends, Church family, is your compassion and love towards all people, but particularly anyone who's been marginalized or any minorities, is it clearly seen? Is your love and compassion clearly seen? Let me put it this way. No matter where you stand, on this immigration debate. I don't think you have to abdicate your positions. No matter where you stand in this immigration debate, is there any compassion in your heart for those that are hurting? Is there anything in your heart? Any compassion for those who are hurting? When you're interacting in social media, whether on Facebook or or Twitter, when you're interacting over a heated topic like this, Is your only response to defend your position vehemently? Or does your heart ever go, that's hard. This stinks. I hate that people are going through this. Doesn't mean we have to change our position. But let me ask you, where's your compassion? 
Where's your compassion? I fear that we as conservative Christians, and I am a conservative Christian, might be found making idols of our political and social positions while we lack compassion for those that are hurting. Friends, listen very closely. I'm not telling you you need to abandon your positions. I'm not. I promise you. You might find that we line up in most things with regards to these issues. I'm just asking you to consider. I think the Lord would want you to actually see people and have compassion and love towards them. This is what it looks like for us to hold this glorious truth that there's only one race. It's not something we just throw out as a theological truth, but it increases compassion for us because we know all people are image bearers of God. No matter what their skin looks like, no matter what your background is, all in the image of God. I asked one of these students at NKU, I said, if you could stand up in front of my church family, which is predominantly white, what would you tell them? This is what he said. We were created in the image of God too. If you look at me differently, you probably see God differently. Think about that for just a moment. For some reason in his life, he's been made to feel like less than an image bearer of God. Something people said, something that has happened to him, something that's been done. And he's asking me, asking us to just remember he is made in God's image too. And then if you see him any differently than that, you might not know the same God of Scripture. That hurt when I heard that. That he would feel that way among church people, among believers, that he would feel that way. The church should always be the place where race has no reason to reign. Now our world talks about race more as an ethnic background or skin color. So as we consider this, the answer is not just, well, we're all one race, the human race. That's not just the simple answer. I would ask you today to consider, if we all are one human race, how might God have us live in light of that? But this brings us actually to another great truth that should grow in us a crazy amount of unity and joy. Not only do we trace our lineage back to Adam, but we all have the same sin and are in need of the same Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans chapter 3 with me. I'm going to show you a few things that would, that would remind us of, of the fact that we're all, all of us, the human race. And we're all more alike than we are different. Let me start in verse 21. It says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God 
through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now catch this. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace and gift. There is no distinction. Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Romans to explain that the gospel is not just a Jewish gospel. It's not a gospel for one ethnic people. Jesus came and offered forgiveness that crosses ethnic boundaries. No matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, in the image of God, hope in Jesus. But there's no need for Jesus if there's no sin, right? We don't need a savior if we're not in trouble, right? Well, that's why he says there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many people do you think he means by all? What was that? Okay, can you just one moment say with me, that's me? That's me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? When he says all people have sinned, put your name in there. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not because of what you look like. It's not because of your ethnic background. It's because we can trace our lineage back to Adam. We've inherited sin and we come out, we come out sinning. <laughs> God's word is crystal clear. There is no distinction. It's not for some people. It's not for certain kinds of people. Not these ethnic groups or those with this skin color. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is incredible to me. There are so many fun distinctions in different ethnic groups. I love uh, the beauty in God's design. I love different foods. I love where, they, where different people live. I love different languages. But people, all people, still share their biggest problem. We're all sinners. That's you and me. That's every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. There is no morally superior group of people. There's no morally inferior group of people when it comes to your ability to keep the law. All have sinned in Romans 6, 23 reminds us that the payment earned for sin is what? Death. Same sin. Same sin. But our unity does not stop in our biggest problem. We also share a great unity in the greatest hope of all in Jesus. Turn just a little bit to the right to Romans chapter 10. Read verse 9 through 13 for you. Actually, 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Catch this again. For this, sorry, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There were some genuine 
tensions between people of two different backgrounds. It was Jews and everyone else. And Paul is communicating right here. There's no distinction. All are saved through Jesus if they trust him and confess him. So it doesn't matter if you're from Thailand or Italy, South Africa or Peru or just born and raised in northern Kentucky. If you confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. It doesn't matter if your skin is black, brown, yellow, white or some shade in between. If you confess your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Romans 3 says same sin. Romans 10 says same Savior. For there is no distinction. It's not about how special you are. It's about how gracious God is. John Piper describes this in his book, Bloodlines, this way. I think you have this in your outline. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes and says, justification, getting right with God by being counted as righteous, is by faith, not by works. Therefore, having certain ethnic or religious advantages proves to be of no advantage. And not having certain ethnic or religious advantages proves to be of no disadvantage. The reason is that faith in Christ, by its very nature, looks away from distinctives, positive or negative, that you have in yourself and looks to God's free grace in order to be justified and have eternal life. It's not about what you have or what you don't. It's about the beauty and gloriousness and power of the grace of God. So let me ask you, does this ring true in your life? Not just simply do you believe it, but does this actually affect how you think about people that are different than you? Do you see people as more like you than they are different because they share your greatest problem and their only hope is your greatest hope do you see people like that we need to see people really see them as image bearers of christ It took the same power and work on the cross to save you than it does anybody else. That's the beauty of Jesus. For there is no distinction, same sin and same Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one race, the human race, created in the image of God. And all have sinned. And their only hope is Jesus. When I sat at that table at NKU, one of the things that was clearest to me was we were actually more alike than different when it comes to the things that matter most. I was encouraged in my faith by these brothers and sisters in Christ. As, as one of them, Isaac asked one of them to pray, pray for me as I prepared this sermon and as I continue to grow in my own walk with the Lord, as I sat as she prayed with me, genuine tears filled my eyes. Because she was praying not just for me, she was praying for you. She was praying for us. That the glory of Christ would be displayed in us. Now quickly, I was trying to wipe them away so when we, we said amen, nobody saw it. But... True love was extended to me from people I'd never met that were different than me. 
but we were united in Jesus Christ. Does that truth affect your life every day? Does it affect how you see people, how you talk with people, how you interact on social media? Do people see you as a compassion-filled, loving person or someone so committed to their political and social stances that you never even can tell people are hurting? I don't know where you stand. But I would pray that our church family would be known more by love and compassion. First, then let's talk issues. Let's, Let's have firm convictions. But first, love. First, compassion. Diversity in the midst of unity is beautiful. Being united in Jesus is a glorious and beautiful thing. And you better get used to it. You want to know why? Because heaven's going to look a lot like that. If you don't like it now, you're going to be uncomfortable when you get to heaven. And we know that won't happen. But that's what God is moving towards. Redeeming a people for himself of every tribe, every language, every people, every nation to display his mercy. So that's my third bedrock truth that should unite us as we think about this issue of race. Is that all Christians have the same glorious future together to look forward to. Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 5. I just want to remind you of what this might look like. I want you to have a little taste of what this might look like, that it might grow in you a sense of joy and compassion. Revelation 5, starting in verse 9. And they sang a new song, singing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God. But what kind of people you say? A people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Think about that. Think about it. That is beautiful. Heaven is going to be filled with people who love Jesus from all different backgrounds. And that should get us excited. God's plan was always to include this kind of diversity. Dare we have a smaller picture or a different picture than God does of this. Dare we think differently than he does on this? Now here's the best part of this. Well, I shouldn't say the best. Here's an awesome part of this. I think God wants us to experience some of this here on earth. I don't think he just wants us to look ahead and say, well, there will be a day when... I think he wants us to experience some of this reconciliation, some of this Christ-filled love that crosses ethnic backgrounds today in our church families here and throughout the nation. 
John Piper, I'm going to reference his book again a couple more times. If you ever are looking for a book to read, uh, his book Bloodlines is an excellent book on race and the gospel. Um, He's very humble, very honest with what he's felt and what he's had to repent of, but also paints a beautiful and glorious picture of what Christ can do in these relationships. And I want to share with you one of my favorite parts of his book. I I thought about trying to just rephrase them so I could just say them to you, but he just does a better job than me. He's he's John Piper. So so I want to read to you and unpack these four truths for you. And it's these four truths about diverse unity. Diversity united in Christ. That's what he's talking about in this section of the book. So he has four things that he wants to share with everybody who reads it. And the first one is this. Diverse unity is more glorious than the unity of sameness. Let me say that again and then I'll unpack that. Diverse unity is more glorious than the unity of sameness. So what he's saying is actually by nature more beautiful when we have a diverse people united under one thing. It's more beautiful. He likens it to a choir. Anybody here, I do this with my students all the time, who's ever sang in a choir before? Just put your hands up. Don't be scared. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and sing. I loved choir in high school. I loved it. We, uh, we got to travel. I, I went to high school in Germany, if you don't know my story. We got to travel and sing in some glorious cathedrals where they were designed for sound to bounce and just sound so amazing. And it was always fun when you sing in unison. There's this powerful one note projecting from all people. But I didn't get chills until we harmonized. When that one part breaks into four parts, we get this glorious harmony, this beautiful sound. This diversity in unity, singing the same song from different places. Diverse unity by its nature, is more beautiful. And God is working towards this for all people. The second thing Piper says is praise from diverse peoples points to deeper beauty. Now, I want to unpack that because you may be like, well, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Romans 15, 11 says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. What Piper is saying here is God is so amazing so beautiful, so worthy of worship that all peoples must praise him. He's not just so amazing that only one kind of people wants to. He's so amazing that all peoples will praise him. He, Piper likens it to a piece of art in, um, that, that somebody maybe has painted. We can recognize it as beautiful. But if it's only a little small group of people that really think it's beautiful, yeah, it's nice. But once that peace is recognized by all peoples or from different groups of people as beautiful, we recognize that it carries a deeper beauty. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're, <laughs> this also came to mind, it's kind of funny. Um, you know those, you know, when you're in high school and you, you get in a band and you make your own CD and then the only people that buy it are your grandparents and your parents? Everybody's, everybody's done that. Um, there's something really fun and unique about somebody creating music um, And just enjoying it with the people that love them. But everybody would recognize. Once that music is thought of as as beautiful from people, from different groups, different backgrounds, that's when it, it, it unveils another layer of beauty and of power. And of, it's just better. 
That's what diverse unity does. It actually shows us that God himself is better because of that. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, Piper says, uh, the third thing is diversity of followers points to a great leader. Now he's not talking about human leaders. He's talking about Jesus. In Romans 15, Paul is talking about the work that he's done. And he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And here's what Piper says about that. It's not Paul's missionary expertise that is being magnified when more and more diverse peoples choose to follow Christ. It's the greatness of Christ. He is showing himself superior to all other leaders. So this diversity, what it actually shows is Jesus is better. He is greater because it unites people from all backgrounds under this one glorious truth of the gospel. And the fourth one that I think is very applicable to us today is diversity undercuts ethnic pride and points to grace. It reminds us, friends, that our first allegiance is no longer to ethnicity or to nation, but to the new family, the church. God undercuts, this is what Piper says, ethnocentric pride and puts all people back upon his free grace rather than any distinctive of their own. In this way, God's pursuit of ethnic diversity humbles us and magnifies his grace. God is more glorified in beautiful diversity. It's countercultural, friends. If you want to look different from the world, if you want to be attractive as far as the gospel uh, impacting people outside of, of your own little group, they'll see it if God's word and the gospel is penetrating ethnic barriers. When we read about in John, and I think Brad mentioned this last week, that he said, people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. When that love is not just a love of sameness, but it, when it's a love of diversity of all different kinds of people, that is when people might sit up straight and go, wow, what is going on here? Because Jesus is bridging these ethnic gaps, these ethnic misunderstandings. Piper actually finishes this section and I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but it is in your, in your book, I think. Uh, maybe it's not. Um, that I better read it. God's pursuit of racial and ethnic diversity through the work of Christ on the cross is part of the late, larger aim of the cross to display the supreme worth of the glory of God's grace. What we have seen is that these two aims of the cross, God's glory and racial harmony and diversity are not incidentally related. The achievement of the cross in reconciling all ethnic groups through faith in Christ is part of how the work of Christ on the cross magnifies the greatness of God's grace. Here's where he summarizes it. Therefore, what is at stake is our pursuit, sorry, what is at stake in our pursuit of racial and ethnic diversity and harmony is both our reverence for the cross and our love for the glory of God. That's actually what's at stake here. When it comes to thinking about race or ethnicity biblically, we must recognize what's at stake is our reverence for the, the cross and the glory of God. 
In short, if you love the cross and the glory of God, you will love people of all ethnicities and all backgrounds. If you love the cross and the glory of God, you will pray and work towards all people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. At the end of your bulletin, there's one simple question I want you to consider. It's what is my takeaway? Before you leave, I would love for you all to write something there. I don't know what it is for you. I don't want to make it for you. But maybe it's, maybe the Lord is calling you to be more compassionate with certain kinds of people or in certain spaces when talking about issues. Maybe he's prompting you to pursue a specific person, somebody in your life. Maybe it's just, I need to be more educated, be more informed that I might have compassion. Well, then go talk to some good people who love Jesus or, or read a good book that might help you think differently. At the very least, I would ask you all to pray. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous or offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what I had to do. God, show me if there's anything wrong that I'm not seeing. Where am I blind? Where am I not seeing this? I went to that meeting at NKU filled with nervousness. I didn't want to offend anybody. I realized that I didn't know a whole lot of stuff. But what I found was that while we had some very big differences, the most important thing, Jesus, we shared. We were united in it. And I've not felt more loved and more united with somebody. I left NKU with a renewed excitement for God's glory. I was saddened by some of the hardships they've been through. And I pray that the Lord will help me wherever I go to be for all people. To remember that quite often, and this is just me, most often comfort is my enemy. It keeps me from taking Jesus to the world. Would you all pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your great truths in here that we truly can know we're all one race created in God's image. We all share the same sin, but all have the same hope of a Savior in you, Jesus. God, would you help us to be excited, not just simply about the the great redeeming work you're going to do in heaven, but God, to be excited about it right now. That we would see if there's any offensive way in us in how we talk and how we think and how we act. That we might honor you better and be compassionate and kind to others. Would you help us with that? Lord, thank you for the cross. Jesus, we thank you that through your blood, there's a beautiful, diverse unity. And I look forward, Jesus, to that day when we will all be united, worshiping you together with you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.